Hello, I am Joel McLeod. And I'm Roland Tanner. And welcome to the 905er. September is supposed to be the start of another school year for Ontario students. Returning to classrooms and seeing friends after summer break, getting back into a routine of studying extracurricular activities, exams, and socializing. You know, normal teenager stuff. Instead, this year's return to school has been marked with danger. Well, at least for students of the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. At four schools, a total of 16 bomb threats have been called in, forcing Hamilton police to close the schools for student and staff safety. While one threat has been linked to a 13-year-old and they have been charged accordingly, the remaining threats are still considered open investigations by Hamilton police. Reports of threats to Hamilton schools show that there is an anti-LGBTQ theme to the threats. In addition to these bomb threats, as September drew to a close, protesters wanted to end pro-LGBTQ and trans student policies in Ontario schools. At the 905er, we don't believe in coincidences this big. With this trend of the anti-LGBTQ movement becoming so extreme, we pondered, where are our leaders in Ontario to denounce this threat to Ontario students? Where are the statements from Premier Doug Ford as well as Minister of Education Stephen Lecce? To answer this question, we invited back to the podcast Laura Babcock, who has been asking the same question. Why have the people in charge of our schools kept silent on this important issue of student safety? Laura is the host of The O Show, a weekly political discussion show on the ins and outs of Hamilton politics, as well as the president of the communications firm Power Group. She joins us today. Okay, well, thank you and welcome back to the podcast, Laura Babcock, who is returning to to give us insight on Hamilton province and kind of give it give us a, a recap of what has been an incredible month i would say in ontario in 905 politics laura welcome back to the podcast thanks good to be here and congratulations on the great shows you've been putting out around the issue of trans students and their rights i really appreciate that your voice is in this it's important Thank you very much. Uh, it's a story that, unfortunately, I don't think is going away anytime soon. So we'll we'll follow that as the as the roller coaster that that story is continues to to evolve. And but speaking of that, it's kind of a segue into kind of the first topic that we wanted to touch upon. Uh, as you've been tweeting, and I'm sure our listeners are no doubt aware, is for four days the Hamilton Wentworth District School Board has had to close. A number of secondary schools in their district because of bomb threats. Um, now, I, I, I'm, I don't believe in coincidences. Uh, I believe that the bomb threats are tied to this anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ movement that we're seeing rising in the in the current in the country, um, and and then especially tied in with the the recent the one million march that that happened last. Uh, in September. And I'm questioning is where, where's the outrage from our elected officials, our, our leaders at all levels of government on this one. And Laura, I'm going to ask you to chime in. Well, first let me say 
in case people aren't aware, kids have rights. They have a right to privacy. They have a right to be able to attend school and not uh, have their identity or their conversations with the trusted adults as, you know, being given back to parents, unless it's something where the child's going to be harmed, then obviously there are protocols in place where parents and teachers, of course, are going to get kids whatever support that they need. Uh, but the idea that it's somehow parents' rights to know everything that's happening in their kid's life trumps the kid's ability to go to school. For some kids, the only safe place is school. Mm -hmm. And that's a sad thing to have to say, but it's the truth. And so for those of us who are parents who have kids in high school, like I do, a boy and a girl in high school, uh, of course, it's nice to know every single thing that they're up to, but I also want them to develop and grow into who they are. And I want them to have the ability to speak to other adults and to be able to uh, have the knowledge that they're in a safe place. And so for kids, trans kids, kids who have not come out to their parents, kids who are still figuring out who they are, to know that being somewhere where they express themselves can then turn into a phone call back to those very parents that they haven't been able to express themselves to, I think is highly problematic. And yes, I want to get to the bomb threats in a moment, but also understand that the Premier of Saskatchewan just today said that he lost a court case trying mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. force kids in Saskatchewan to have anything they say about how they want to be identified given back to their parents. He lost that because of the infringement on kids' rights, right? Uh, and wants to, there's an injunction now while they, in the, the proceeding, and the Premier is saying that he wants to invoke the notwithstanding clause on kids' pronouns. So just think about that for one second where we are in this conversation. At a point where the notwithstanding clause, something that we saw Doug Ford try to use with education workers and the entire country push back against, now we're going to try to use that to force teachers and staff to out kids. If your child doesn't come out to you, painful, obviously it's a difficult situation, but they're not doing it for a reason. And parents cannot use this heavy force to try to force what to find out what's going on in their kids' lives. That's just not how it works. You wouldn't have wanted that as a kid. My teenagers don't understand why parents would want to do that to their own kids. They don't even understand what the big deal is with pronouns, right? Like it's not what kids talk about. So the idea that we're wasting legislative time, that we're going to invoke the notwithstanding clause, all of this is US style culture wars. And I'm not saying that the US created these, but it's certainly been what we've been watching escalate in the US the last 10 years. There's plenty of hate and transphobia mm -hmm. in Canada. We're not importing that from the US, but this idea of these wedge political issues and how important they're becoming on the Canadian landscape, that is something that should alarm all of us. And so when you talk about where is the outrage, where's the pushback, you know, I had Merritt Stiles, the leader of the official opposition on the program, on the O show this week. And when I told her about the bomb threats in Hamilton, she said, I heard about that as a parent. She goes, I cannot, you know, the, the education minister needs to come out and he needs to address this mm -hmm. and tell parents that uh, he's with them and he understands the concerns that thousands of students and parents uh, and education workers are having in Hamilton. And he's been silent on it, to your point, Joel, for what we're in day six now without a peep from the education minister. And he's been in front of microphones on other issues. So and why I do. I, well, I, I also want to emphasize that it's not just a one school or one off occasion. This seems to, it's a 
it seems to be a a coordinated pattern of multiple schools. Well, this is the thing. So yeah. some of the so some of the push. So I want to say Merritt Styles mm -hmm. on the record with me said that this is a premier and a finance and an education minister who have been stepping into this area of politicizing, politicizing children's rights, right? And and vulnerable children especially. And she says that that is not a that is not something they can afford to do and she wants him to come out strongly on it so there are some politicians who care and actually the leader of the green party of ontario also brought that up with me when i talked to him a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago because of a comment the premier made at ford fest about this right, right. so we're talking about as merritt styles said we're talking about real children here who are at risk of these bomb threats these are real children at real risk okay this is not an, a, a, you know, a feared risk about some curriculum being taught or a fear about indoctrination, which we know doesn't happen. You can't talk someone out of being gay. You can't talk them into it either. It's not an indoctrination thing. All of that stuff is not real. But phoning bomb threats in is real. And we know that at least two of them, two emails came in on the initial bomb threats, Joel, that were transphobic. Right. So th there was hate behind it. It's it's not let's not play this game that we don't know what's going on. We mm -hmm. do know what's going on. And so what do we do about it? Parents who are listening, who are getting angry at whatever I'm saying, because they really feel concerned about what's happening with their kids at school. And they really think they're being indoctrinated or at risk. And they really think they ought to know every single thing their kid says and does. They're not going to change their mind. It's a it's it's a position, whatever. But the more of us should care very deeply about not rolling back the rights of people, right? We are seeing in the US how rights are being rolled back on women's health. We don't want to be rolling back rights in this country. And so more of us need to stand up and say clearly, parents' rights is a misnomer. That's not what this is about. This is about really picking on kids who are already highly vulnerable. How many videos do we need to see of kids crying about this before we realize that this is a ridiculous overreach mm -hmm. meant just to divide and just to play into some populist well, fear mongering? Well, we to, bring, to, to bring it kind of a bit back, I mean, you're, you're making the ties between the rhetoric that we're hearing from uh, conservative and I mean, small C conservative right wing politicians here in Canada about this topic and the fact that I... I question whether when our, our minister of education and the premier of the province, well, to their credit, they haven't introduced any full legislation. They have been tiptoeing with their language to this parental rights crowd. And I mean, part of it is you have to own up to like language matters. Your communicator, your, your, we, we know the words you choose to say at the microphone, especially if you're a politician matter. And if yeah. you're going to say this, parental rights crowd you you need you need to come first no matter what this i this is what they've they, they've taken to heart I, I mean i've spoken with the protesters at the one million march and i'm not sure i'm not going to paint all of them with the brush or they're going to they're going to do this but there's a lot of anger about it and when you stoke it with the language of yeah. parental rights yeah. this this is what it comes down to is now we have schools being closed due to bomb threats that clearly the Hamilton police are taking very seriously. The, the investigation is still open. They're still addressing it. And it's Some of the pushback I'm getting, Joel, in terms of language, right? There are mm -hmm. people who are saying, oh, bomb threats have always been a thing. It's what students do. So maybe one 13-year-old student called in a bomb threat because there's always one. 
right? That is not the same as 16 in four days, right after right. a giant march around parental rights in the in, at the school board, right? And if you saw the responses that I'm getting to just posting these videos from these politicians who are standing up against this, this culture war and saying, mm -hmm. no, it's about protecting children, people really protecting children, not from some fear of indoctrination, but from actual physical harm, bomb threats, right? Um, when they're speaking up and asking for the, the education minister to speak to it and the premier to be more clear on this, it's for the very reason that you cite, you know? Um, people get permission structures from politicians, from leaders, from influencers. What we say, what I say, what you guys say, what other show hosts say, it matters right? It gives people a sense of empowerment for good or for bad. And we have to take some accountability ourselves in which kind of conversations we have. You know, what's, what are we trying to do with these conversations, right? Are we trying to stoke more hate, fear, resentment? Um, or are we trying to say, you know, what kind of country do we want to be? How much do we value the rights of children and safety and the importance of people um, being, you know, able to live as who's they, who they are in our country are not all of us equal. And if we all are equal, then we simply cannot pick on a minority, a vulnerable minority like trans youth and think that that's okay any more than we can pick on any other vulnerable minorities. So when you bring up about who's behind this, you know, what's the Venn diagram between the anti-vaxxers, the convoy movement and this parents' rights? I'd like to see. I'm sure there are some parents who just caught on to this particular issue and they feel strongly and they have concerns about school board curriculum. But I'm sure there's there's a cross here, right? Mm -hmm. Because we're seeing it as an extreme right-wing populist movement. And I'm not saying that any conservatives listening to your show are okay with this. It's an extreme movement. And I'm not going to sit and listen to anyone say, well, it's just as bad on the extreme left. Like, show me, <laughs> right? It, it isn't. Right. So we are watching the rise of an extreme right-wing movement that if we find out more evidence, because we've already had two emails, that these bomb threats to Hamilton schools are tied to this these this recent million person you know uh, for kids it really felt like it was for hate march across the country these rallies what is that when you use violence to get your political agenda through it's fascism right this is fascistic shit that we're seeing sorry to swear guys but that's what it is so as the rest of us what do we need to do we need to say. Yeah, I can understand some people have legitimate fears, concerns, they're hearing a lot of rhetoric, they're feeling a lot of ways. They might not want to listen to reason or facts in this because they feel strongly. But now the politicians, the ones who work for us, the ones who create those permission structures, they, they need to be a part of the solution. They cannot continue to play this dangerous game of stoking these fears, of not commenting when things get a little too extreme, of taking photos with people who are deliberately ratcheting this up because of a political agenda, right? So mm -hmm. not every parent who cares about parents' rights even knows that they're part of something else potentially. But that doesn't change the fact that we have seen organized hate growing in this country. We have evidence of it. We know it. <laughs> we right. see it. And now we all have to say to our politicians, you don't get to play footsie with this crowd. You don't. It, it leads to disastrous outcomes. So just because you think it's going to get your base whipped up and come out to the polls and give you power, you got to make a decision. What kind of country do you want to live in? Is it really worth it? Is it worth it to not condemn 
bomb threats to schools just so that you keep some part of your base satiated? Is that worth it for Canada? So this becomes a conversation around how you feel about a just society, how you feel about equity, how you feel about the future you want to leave your children, uh, and the climate of fear that is growing inside of our schools. And it is a climate of fear. So I say to every politician watching this, if you haven't made a statement against this yet, you should be, because history is going to be recording who stood up when and why, or what other considerations they were, they were having in the background, right? If you get elected based on this movement of anger and hate, what do you think you're going to be like as a leader? I mean, we're seeing in the U.S. where uh, the Speaker of the House made a deal with extremists and now can't function. Like, what do you think is going to happen? You get elected and then suddenly you're back in control? You, you bring things back to a moderate place? Like, when has that happened in history? So, you know, we need to say loudly and often, no more. And I just have to say, we did a no-show on the rise of hate. This is one more reason why I'm passionate about this, Joel. We had... Uh, a woman leader in our community, Yelena Vermillion, dragged down the street in front of 500 people right. on camera because she was standing in solidarity with vulnerable women at a take back the night. We had a city councillor get death threats, a queer city councillor get homophobic and death threats because a location for a tiny shelters was going to go where some people in the neighborhood didn't want it. That's craziness. And that's happening right now. It's not hyperbolic. I don't have Trump derangement syndrome or Ford derangement syndrome. This is evidence. This is fact. This is happening to real people. So I'm glad you guys are on it. We'll try to stay on it. But it's every Canadian is it's incumbent on all of right. us to say, come on, we're not stupid. We see where this goes. Let's stop mm -hmm. it while we have a chance. Right. Absolutely. How do, you, how do you stop it when it's too late? It's it's I mean, you've just expressed everything that I can ever hope to say in, in far more articulate words than I probably would have been able to put them. But you, you said, you know, it's an extreme movement, but it's an extreme movement that is getting strong support from the Premier of Ontario standing on a stage a week or so ago, so uh, basically totally buying into this straw man of, uh, of teachers pushing uh, a trans agenda, which just, you know, speak to a damn teacher please people uh, and ask them if that's what they are doing it's just a joke from their perspective uh where you know the, the the prime minister of the country says you know people expressing hate against trans people is outrageous and immediately the leader of the opposition chimes in and says this is disgusting you're just having a go at ordinary people the this if this is extremism it's extremism that's at the heart of the conservative movement um and I mean, I would argue it's because the conservative movement is utterly bankrupt as a as a movement of actual political ideas. We're, we're, one of the topics we haven't got to yet, because there's been so much going on, is that the federal government announced that they were going to take the HST off rental accommodation builds. This is like a really big thing, and it's something that, that affordable housing people have been pushing for, and we'll come back and do a full episode on it, I hope, uh, very soon. Uh, it's a big deal. It's one of the most significant things perhaps that this federal government has done. Um, and I think, it, well, that should be a concern. That should have been something that the conservatives were shouting from rooftops about. It's like, take, take tax off something. Aren't they the low tax party? Aren't they? Uh, you know, but they were nowhere near that because they don't have any ideas. Um, so in, into that void, uh, anyhow, 
ideas take work. Actual policies take work. Just directing hate at a group of people and children at that, it's, 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 it's easy, but it's the most perniciously disgusting thing that, that any political person, any politician, any political movement can, can possibly do. Um, well said, well said, Roland, well said. Uh, it, is, it is pernicious. It's going to do more harm. And, and it is pathetic, right? It's cowardly. Only only weak politicians pick on kids. As as Mike Schreiner, the head of the Greens, said to me, um, it's punching down, punching mm-hmm. down. You know, if you if you want to build up your power by punching down, what does that say about the kind of leader you're going to be when you have that power? You know, and and I I say to people one at a time <laughs> when I talk to them about this, okay. You may want Trudeau gone. You may want this or that changed. You may not like this policy. Affordability is a real thing. It sucks. Now, now think about what the alternatives being proposed to you are and what, what's underpinning their strength and their popular. What's making them popular? Where do you think that goes? If they get into office, do you think suddenly they can go back to this kind of Reagan-esque, Maroney-esque mm-hmm. fiscal policy and all of this other kind of corporate conservatism that I think people want on some level? Um, no, it's going to be run by this very same extreme group. Aaron O'Toole couldn't deal with it, right? What happened mm-hmm. to him, right? So this is a time where people have to get out of their I'm conservative, I'm liberal, I'm MDP lens and say, what they're having to do now in the U.S., you know, lifelong Republicans, ten generations are having to vote for Democrats, and you know they're having to hold their nose because it's stopping an extremist movement on the far right. And the problem, as you point out, Roland, is that what would be moderate-ish conservative leaders are using that energy from that right. movement to make themselves more popular. Well, there's a there's a note that I. I... We kind of touched upon in, the, in our episode that we did on the coverage of the One Million March, but in speaking with a number of the on-the-ground protests, not the ones organizing, the, the ones who took time off work to show up, they brought up the point of affordability, as you just mentioned. Um, you know, the affordability crisis, uh, mortgage, rental rates going up, and they said, "We're not coming out for this. We have to come out. No, sorry, we're not coming out for that. We have to come out for this." And I. I didn't say anything because I, I was I really didn't want to go pick a fight, but I said, Yeah, you're not marching for a rent, you know, rental rates to become affordable. You're not marching for mortgage rates to come down. You're not marching for uh cheaper food prices, which is something I'm sure both sides of that police line would have said, Okay, yeah, I'll come out and march for that. That's something I can get behind. You're not choosing to do that. You're choosing to march for this. And I find my worry is, as we kind of tiptoed around on this discussion so far, is that you're right, Roland, to really concretely address issues that actually affect us, afford- the affordability crisis, the housing crisis. That will require a actual action, laws and policies to change. And more importantly, and this is, I think is what's crucial for the right wing side of this is money tax dollars will have to be spent to address the housing crisis in some way or another they'll have to dip into the public coffers in the tune of billions with a b to really to really address this and really start bringing this matter to bear um and that kind of goes against the conservative ethos of government government has to take big bold drastic action and 
I don't see that. I don't see the housing crisis being solved by that without doing that in some way or another. Um, right. Like we need a wartime effort to. We do. And that, right, right and now when we, with trans kids. I mean, but that's that's my point is that when when you can't address the housing crisis when oh hey tinker on the edges isn't going to bring down housing prices, where do you go? Well, let's go pick on the woke. And what's the woke? Well, this week it'll be trans kids. Next week it'll be maybe the Black Lives Matter movement if they come up. It's the woke definition is so murky and so vague that it can be thrown at anybody who says, "I have a I have a legitimate grievance," or not even that. Just I'm I'm not like you. I I just my my priorities are different than yours. Okay, you're woke now, and I get to throw my people against you. If you're vaccinated, I can throw you. I can throw my truck convoy at you. This week it's trans kids. You know, which is why as a bit of a lightning rod, I guess now on Twitter, <laughs> I've become uh, since the convoy, since I spoke out against the early signs of what that was all about. Um, you know, it wasn't about bouncy castles for some. It was a good old Canadian let's get together and yeah, sure. know, we're unhappy with the pandemic. But for the people organizing it <laughs> and funding it, it had something else, right? And if mm -hmm. you're near a Nazi flag, you should really think about where you are. Uh, and so, but then it started there, the anti-vax movement. I mean, it, it, so from the, so when I get, I got a, like, I get emails, right. Or, or tweets that say, there's no such thing as a rise of hate. And then all the reasons why they hate trans kids, BLM, you know, call me a bunch of hateful names. It's like, you know, proving their point. So I think we can kind of intellectualize the cognitive dissonance about it. We can discuss that, but I, I think we should just stipulate that. People are very, very angry and disenfranchised and hurting and fearful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, I have those emotions as well as a, as a business owner and as a mother of teenagers in 2023, there's a lot going on. Uh, and so channeling that fear into something that feels tangible and feels righteous is very, very tempting. In fact, uh, experts on this say that where fear lives, hate organizes, right? So we are post-pandemic, economic recession, fear. We are steeped in fear. Hate is going to organize. Uh, and so rather than trying to explain to anyone at any of these marches why any of their ideas might not be based in fact or reality or maybe not what they're really angry about, uh, I think it, it be, it's just incumbent on all of us to speak to the people who have positions of power in corporations, in government, in our communities, and say, we cannot be having those irrational discussions. We need to clearly state the rights of trans people matter. The rights of all people matter to roll back rights. And we haven't even started talking about immigration, which is a huge concern for people. Even people who are very progressive are very worried about the immigration numbers and the lack of supports for immigration, what that's going to mean for housing for everybody else. I mean, I hear about it all the time from people yep. you would think were liberals, right? So we have real issues to deal with, and we need a wartime effort on affordable housing and on, on our program around immigration, because we need immigration. We know that. How do we manage that so much better than we are? We need serious leaders at this time. We don't need populists who are playing games, right? And when, when whether it's Polyev or Ford or the education minister Leche who won't stand up against these bomb bomb threats, 16 bomb threats, this isn't some kid having fun at lunch, 
Um, you know, what happens if a bomb is real and goes off in a school? What are they going to say about their positions then, right? right? It's extremely important that this is the moment in Canada where we say, no, I'm not going to sit and have this, oh, but, oh, but, bouncy castle, oh, but they do have some legitimacy to be worried about their kids. No, this is about rights. This is about protecting them and preventing fascism from rising in our country. It, it's pretty it's pretty clear. And we need to demand that serious people make serious statements to denounce this kind of violence. Because right now they're picking on trans kids. Just wait until they find out what it is about you that's vulnerable, right? And that's going to pick up on that word you've used twice now, fascism. Um, because until the last decade or so, as someone like us, uh, people in, I'm not going to say middle-aged, but I'm, well, I'm middle-aged. I'm not going to say that, but anybody else. On I'm, I'm young. What are you talking about? <laughs> um, but people in the middle of our lives, uh, we didn't call people fascists. You would get laughed at for calling us, oh, he's, you know, the, the leader of the conservatives is a fascist. That was the sort of thing that children said who were a bit too, you know. Right. That, I remember, I think it's a Mike Lee film, um, where there was a character in that who was like a teenager was always calling people fascists, and it was a joke, you know, yeah. to call. I've never used it before. Yeah. I've never used it. But it is, you are absolutely it. right to use it. It is, this is absolutely the tactics of the fascists. Uh, you know, you, you, you just need to know a bit of history, but maybe that's the problem that too many people just don't know a bit of history. Um, Which is why I was extremely upset that the Trudeau government would try to erase from the record oh, their horrible decision. That because, I mean, that yeah. has made it so much worse. They did something stupid, having a Nazi in the parliament, absolutely bad on them. The, the House Speaker should have immediately resigned for that. Right. And the Prime Minister should have treated it much more seriously than he did. And so I was furious. But then to come out and have Karina Gold try to say, you know, as government House leader, uh, we're going to strike it from the record. I mean, that is your point, Roland, is that people who don't know history, who yeah. try to whitewash history or not read history, were doomed to repeat it. And, you know, these things are cyclical, right? The people who survived, the Nazis, are gone now, right? So right. you have a whole bunch uh, more yeah. people coming up who are like, eh, Nazi schmatz. No, yeah, here, here's, but angry, on, on that note, I mean, Roland and I, our first episode, episode number one, go back and listen to it we talked about the fact that there is a not a monument to the to the division that this gentleman served in in oakville oakville ontario and it's been there for a while and we talked about the need to tear it down because you in canada you do not honor nazis and i can't believe i have i've had to say that twice on this podcast <laughs> but you're right like we and i, I mean okay, okay i guess we're we're getting a bit off. We're getting a bit off topic because I think we could do a whole episode on how the left needs to get its act together and Absolutely. and stop pussyfooting around this bullshit. Because yes, yes. um, that that could be a whole. I mean, really, whole the, thing. The, the the left. We should move on. Yes, but it boils down to my eternal hobby horse: if the left cannot afford to be divided anymore, um, and, and that you know, liberals, NDP, Greens, for the God's sake, please, we're praying you to start working together more because you know we, we had that uh, headline i think i retweeted the other day someone say uh the conservatives are in clear majority territory federally with 30 7 percent of the vote uh, like so we're gonna let a fascist sympathizing asshole form a majority government in this country based on only having 
3.7 out of 10 voters support him. Screw that. Come on, progressives. Get your act together. We can't go through this garbage anymore of... We don't have yeah. the luxury of NDP people hating liberals and liberals hating NDP people anymore. We don't have that luxury. We've got to stop the fascists. Get yeah. your act together. Amen. Can I just put one point on that, Joel? Sure, go ahead. Amen. Because I saw the most beautiful thing when I interviewed, as you know, I am not part of any party. I do identify as someone who wants progress, but that's about <laughs> it. Um, I am so heartened that when I interviewed the head of the Green Party, he said he would work with the other opposition parties to stop the Green Belt and corruption in the Ford government. When I interviewed the head of the NDP, she told me that the way that they got that Auditor General's report, the one that blew open the entire scandal and all the corruption, was because someone advised her, if you really want to make this work, it has to be bipartisan. You have to go to all the opposition parties. She told me that on the O Show. She went to them. They all signed on. And boom, came this fact-based report that has changed the course of the breathing air and, the, and, and you know, 29 species in Ontario alone. Um, so it is an example of the, of the other parties coming together to stand up against corruption. And boy, do we ever need that federally coming into this election. Mm -hmm. We've already got the NDP working with Trudeau, right? They've got a deal going, so they're kind of doing that already. But the rest of us have to. And one last point on this, Yelena Vermillion said on the O Show, she was uh, the trans activist who got dragged down the street and badly injured by the whole thing. She said that everyone needs to speak up, even if your voice is quaking. Everybody needs to speak up to protect the rights of everyone, right? Uh, and she actually got hurt because she was protecting the rights. If you can believe this, she's a trans woman sex worker. She was protecting the rights of more vulnerable Asian sex workers. <laughs> like she put her body in to protect them. So, you know, we should learn from that and realize it's, it's up to all of us to get together and to stop violence and fascism and hate while we still can. So thank you for Thank you for saying all that, guys. <laughs> Not, not a problem. Um, so let's take a, a, a shifting gears and turn down a new road. Uh, one that may be a le little less passionate, but I don't think it's any less important. And that's, there's a story in the, in the spectator that uh, I do want to touch upon because we've kind of flirted with this as well in the, in the past. And that's with, uh, Hey, taxation. So a, a, a prominent, uh, Hamilton employer, Collective Arts Brewery, which makes fantastic beer. If you if you if you haven't tried it, folks, give it a shot. Not we're not paid for endorsement, but I I, I do like the stuff. Um, they 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 went to they had it they had to expand a line of production, so they went and contracted out the production to Steam Whistle Brewing, and basically they ended up finding out from the Ontario government that they're tackled with like a five hundred thousand dollar tax bill. And all this is under really archaic tax laws, really from like prohibition era regarding alcohol production in this province. Um, I won't get into the nitty gritty of it, but because we don't have time, but just the fact that these laws are sitting on the books for decades that have really hurt a major industry, not just in Hamilton, but I'm not even going to go down the highway into, into Niagara with the winery, distilling, and and brew, craft brewing uh, industries in the Niagara region. $100 million industry across this province, big player in the 905 region. And they are suffering under these archaic, outdated tax laws. And for a provincial government 
that is all about cutting red tape and being pro-business to let a small, no, I'm not even going to say small, they're, they're, they're a good growing business and they're hurt by this archaic tax law. Is this not just the, the pinnacle of hypocrisy from a right-wing pro-business Ontario government, Laura? You know what, at this point, I'm calling them a corrupt government because all we're seeing is day after day, drip after drip of corruption. So if they can make deals on massage tables for that are worth billions of dollars, they can't adjust this black hole in the tax code, <laughs> right? Where a brewer, because they needed some capacity from another location, is suddenly now put in a different tax category mm -hmm. and is crushed with a bill that's going to maybe put them out of business. I mean, where's that pick up the phone, call Doug Ford, he'll always answer and fight for the little guy. Where has that gone? Where has right. that gone? Right. Um, so calling them a conservative government who's going to deal with red tape and be pro-business. The only pro-business we are seeing is pro-billionaire developers business mm -hmm. or pro-spa owner business. We are not seeing pro-business for the little guy. And I think we have to see people for who they are. And when they show you, believe them. Right. So I don't think that the Ford government is operating as a pro. So I used to run a chamber of commerce, guys. Right? This, this is right up my alley, okay? Uh, many of my members were conservative. My chamber was in Oakville, a conservative, mm. you know. Oh, yes, definitely. Right? And so I am aware of the idea to stop red tape and to make it better for business and all of this kind of stuff. And most business, small businesses are what run the Canadian economy. SMEs, you know, small, medium-sized enterprises, that's the ones with all the hiring and all that good stuff going on. Uh, $8 billion, like billions of dollars to, to billionaires, 99-year secret deals to a spa, right, that might have had some sort of business connections to the government. That is not the conservative government that people associate with conservative brand. So the way you just described conservatism is not what we're actually seeing in Ontario. And as we just talked about the populism, especially happening in the federal race, it's not what we're seeing from Pierre Polyev. So I think we need to talk about what people are, not what labels they're, they're, they're existing under. What they are is a government that has shown us now, and we have the receipts, to be about insider connections, about funding the party, you know, and about perhaps we'll find out self enrichment, right? What are these connections? What are, what is the money? How's it flowing? Is Merit the official opposition? Her job is to go after these guys, um, you know, following all the threads. She says there's so many threads they're following. They have excellent researchers at Queen's Park and they're working on all this stuff. So, you know, if I were collective arts, I wouldn't stop the fight on this because we have a government that has shown itself to be able to move around uh, whatever it wants, to do whatever deals it wants, right? It went right outside of how to deal with the green belt to give some massage deals to some buddies. So how come they can't fix this issue for collective arts and the brewing industry? You know, they have exposed themselves for being willing to do whatever they want to do for the right kind of dollar sign. So now I think you go back and you say to them, you can change things. We've seen you do multiple uh, deals that don't pass the sniff test. Go in there and address this. Don't tell us that something is sacrosanct when everything else we thought was sacrosanct right. was something you could move and make deals on your cell phone, right? I, like we're at a massage in Vegas. Come on. I, I just, I, I'll be honest. I, I, I think you might be giving them too, too much credit. I, I, the old adage of, um, don't chalk up to corruption what could just be chalked up to incompetence because this, this is the this is the premier who was all about buck of beer when he first first got elected. But watch that 
So Joel, watch that. Can, can I tell you why I'm going to push? Sure, back sure, back? sure. Because for years I heard people tell me Donald Trump was a fool. And for years, you can ask Charles Adler, I was like, he ain't a fool. You know, he's a clown, but that's by design. But he ain't a fool. He's been gaming the system successfully for 60 years. Do not discount him, right? Ford is not some bumbling fool. Uh, you know, when I was talking to Merritt Stiles about it, she said he goes between this aw shucks folksy guy to something very different, right? You know, he this is performance art when populist politicians seem as though they are incompetent or foolish or bumbling or just like you and me, right? Oh, what did what did Ford say in his aw shucks presser? He said, you know, nobody's perfect, like nobody's perfect. The shirt, the shirt from the eighties, right? Right. This is. Right. What a ridiculous thing to hear from a millionaire political legacy family guy who is dealing with billionaires. Nobody's perfect. So what they do is they put on this shtick that they're foolish and incompetent and, oh, we can't be that bad because we're just like you and me and I made mistakes. And then they show up in the legislature 24 hours later full of bombast and, and, and putting up blocks. Right. So don't believe the foolish incompetency thing. They are fully competent when they want something. OK, that's I just got to push back because they get away with that shit all the time. He can't be that bad. He said he was sorry. Bullshit. He said he was sorry. What he said was he got caught and the pressure was too great and his caucus is sick of it. So he's going to put back that initial terrible decision. But he's still trying to get land out of Hamilton and the urban boundary that we didn't want by right. the ministerial order. Right. Still trying to do it to Ottawa. The very time he's crying about the green belt, they're doing the same thing in smaller packages that weren't technically in the green belt, but that cities didn't want to be expanded out in their boundary. So it's bullshit. See it as bullshit. See it with Trump. See it with Ford. See it with Polyev. And look at what they're actually doing. They're not incompetent. They play the fool so that people think that they're just like them. And then they enrich their buddies. Right. And then they, uh, they, they pick on minorities. I mean, let's just especially, uh, I mean, that brings us perfectly into a, into a final point. I know we're coming up on their time that the green belt was just part of it. Um, and, and Hamilton is obviously particularly affected by lands that were not in the green belt that would take, that were basically the, the, the the prior council's decision to not expand the urban boundary yeah. was just thrown in the garbage. Uh, in other cities, it's not just Hamilton. In other cities, uh, parcels of land, significant parcels of land, were um, were had their zoning changed or were altered in other ways. In Burlington, it was land that belongs to um, the Paletta family that they had long wanted to have the zoning changed on. And uh, the Pletters are, are major donors to the Conservative Party. I don't know. I, I can't see any connection there whatsoever. But that, that was included in, in some of the lands that were affected all at the same time as the Greenbelt was introduced. Those lands are not going back, but it was part of the same process. Uh, and it, it, it was direct connection between developer asking for something and something happening. Um, the land in Hamilton was from a guy who gave money for the stag and doe for Rob Ford's daughter. I mean, like, it's, you know, we're not making this stuff up. It's right in front of our faces. But I think what what, ang what angers me about the story is that this, in, and it's kind of something I've been talking with my wife about this, and it, it made it time to get the air to air to the public. In Ontario, particularly, we need to get back to manufacturing, to making, building, and producing stuff to sell. And I, that's why I'm bolstered by like the, the talk of uh, auto batteries in St. Thomas and, and, 
and the like that that's getting back to our roots here in Ontario of building. And that's kind of where this collective art story um, strikes a nerve with me because this is a group of people who are making a product. You know, it's, it's a good product that people like people want it and they have a market for it and it's producing it and selling it to a market. And in my mind, if you find something that people want, you should be able to expand it at, at, at a reasonable rate and make sure that you know you, you employ people, you sell a product, you, you try and you try and make it make a go of it. That's good old fashioned capitalism. Yeah. And I find that not addressing this barricade to allowing them to expand to be a competitive force in an industry that's vital to the economic livelihood of this province. Um. It is 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 hypocritical, and, and it hurts our our ability to reshape this economy away from real estate deals and speculation of land to an actual backbone of an economy of where we build and sell stuff to a market that wants it. And this government, it's easier just to, as you say, Laura, hang out with the billionaires. Because I would also argue the the reason why collective arts I don't think is getting a fair deal on this is because the billionaires that own Labatt, Molson, and Sleeman, the big three, have a stranglehold on this industry. And if this government said, no, no, we're going to open up the competition, we want not just collective arts, but all the craft breweries, the wineries, the distilleries that are in Ontario, compete, make cheap, make products, make them better, faster, cheaper, and sell them and just compete your heart out, then we might, Ontario, I think benefits through and through. And I, but I don't think that we are anymore in that model of, uh, in that economic model. I think we saw through the pandemic, the billionaire class get much, much wealthier. Absolutely. While there's a greater divide. And there's, in, there's a huge report that just came out this week about just how incredibly deep poverty is post-pandemic. So when we talk about capitalism now, it isn't that nice notion of the lemonade stand, right? Make the best lemonade, get the most money and support your local community. What we're talking well, about now is, is billionaires getting wealthier and we're seeing them move towards this right-wing extremism, right? Um, and it is, and it's pretty, so it all kind of comes together, right? We don't have conservative parties federally or provincially that are fighting for the little guy. It's not what's happening. You know, and so, and Polyev himself has been a, is a career politician who, you know, yeah. is living very, very well and has a lot of money. So, I mean, this whole idea that populists put out there that the little guy is, is what should be protected and what should be valued and, and affordable, it's all BS, right? The only one who's going to fight for the little guy is the little guy. And that's why we have to stay away from these dumb culture wars that drag everyone's energy and just cause pain and try to support each other to find affordable housing and try to push these these populist governments to say enough with the bullshit you know what we actually need you to do something something for someone other than you and your rich friends who own spas or fly you to vegas for massages or, right. or take the belt lands or donate to your party or your daughter's wedding like we actually need you to do work and i don't care what party i vote for in the next election but it's going to be whoever is prioritizing affordability and 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 helping people who need it desperately are going to be the party that I support because that helps all of us when we take care of each other. I'm not interested in enriching a billionaire class any further. And I think a lot of people who, you know, might've run a chamber of commerce like me and drive BMWs like me are saying enough, enough, enough. This isn't even a fair playing field anymore. Nobody is representing people who are in poverty. 
all of us have to act as though we are there next because we could be two paychecks away, right? Like, what are we thinking? Allowing these billionaires to play these games and pretend that they're conservative governments. They're not conservative governments, right? They're in a whole other game now. And I think, you know, collective arts is just one victim of that. You know, they, they don't have anyone who's going to be able to hear them on the conservative pro-business side because they're not pro-small business anymore. Uh, who is that? There's a new conservative party nationally that's trying to start up to, to offer that kind of option back to the table. I don't think they've got the leader for it yet or the momentum yet, but I am interested in hearing about how they think that we can get somebody back there who can represent some of these more middle-of-the-road interests. And if they can't, then I hope all the progressive parties can get some real legislation in there that can really help people. But we have to help people or we are going to, you can't complain about crime and complain about encampments and complain about bills and complain about this and that and the other thing when you're not taking care of people. Where are they going to go? Where are they going to live? They need housing. Like we, we've lost our way. We've lost our right. way and we need to get back on our path fast. And, and I'm, so I'm just, I'm just, I will always champion any politician from any party that cuts through this bullshit and says, let's take care of each other. Let's build an economy. Everyone, including craft breweries or people who are currently in homelessness can have hope. Like that's where we need to go. And this other anger rage stuff will fade back into its dark corners when the rest of us speak up and provide hope and leadership and solutions. It will, it will I mean, we should draw it to close here, but yeah, it will fade back when, the majority of Canadians vote how the Canadian the majority of Canadians have always voted. And when that vote is respected, um, 37% is not a majority of anything. Um, last week uh, was the anniversary of me being in Canada for 20 years. Um, uh, and it's, th I was thinking right now, just as you were speaking, I think, wow, things have really changed. The Canada that was kind of, I say sold to me, I mean that in the most positive way possible. The idea of Canada that, that I saw when I came here was of this tolerant, accepting, welcoming nation. And, you know, those kind of myths always have their problems and their flaws and their shortcomings. And, you know, they're not always entirely accurate. But as a general idea, it was, it seemed like a, a real reflection of, of the country that I'd come to. And it was, you know, very easy to become a Canadian and feel proud to be a Canadian and all those things. And now we have dominating the political scene, this just intolerance, anger, hatred, um, vitriol d directed at the weakest people. I mean, what, what is weaker than children? Um, <sighs> And it, it's it's scary. It's scary, and it, it really yeah, it frightens me where we're going. You know, it frightens me if we let our stupid electoral system, which, by the way, my other country gave to this country, <laughs> and I'm really sorry about that, <laughs> um, to let demagogues uh, uh, succeed because because we let minority parties act as if they have a majority. Anyway, I think we should draw it to a close at that point. But thank you so much, Laura. Um, for joining us today it's always a pleasure and um just as long as everybody listens to us and does what we say everything would be great well, can, I, can i just say guys in this entire conversation i didn't hear one of us put down anyone who believes these things we have kept our our frustration and our strongest language aimed at the leaders who are leveraging and using these things mm -hmm. there wasn't a word in this conversation that was hateful 
or that was demeaning to people who are, you know, fighting for these different things. The hundred percent it's on the leaders because the leaders are creating permission structures for this. So I too have share your fears and that's why I'm calling on all of us to do our part um, and to not demonize or put down people who are caught up in this. That's not going to help, right? That's spreading hate's not going to help. Making our leaders step up and stop the hate is where I think we need to focus. So thank you. It's been a great conversation. Thank you, Laura. Take care, guys. That's it for this episode of the 905er. Thank you for listening. As always, you can send us your feedback, thoughts, and concerns, or ideas for future episodes to our email, info at 905er.ca. We'd love to hear from you. You can help us keep the 905er going by financially supporting us through Patreon as well as PayPal. Visit us at 905er.ca and click on the support tab. As well, links are in the show notes for your convenience. Lastly, you can find us on social media. Search for the underscore 905er on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. So long for now. See you next time. Listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. <laughs>